It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. When I was brought into the squad, I kind of had to, you know, find out from the lads who this was. And guy said that he, you know, he's there. So make sure if you're if you're not going to blow up or if you're going to blow up, just know that he's going to have it on camera for the world to see. And Cummins gets temper. It's worth having another look at it. It flew away. And look at that, Curtis Patterson. Welcome to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Menes. And joining me is the man who pulled off that stunning catch at the Gabba last year. Curtis Patterson, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it must be good memories thinking about that catch. Yeah, I saw it actually popped up on social media. Cricket Australia actually incorrectly stated it was my birthday the other day, but uh, yeah, I saw that video surface and it was yeah, quite nice to watch it again, I guess. Yeah, I did also see that there's a photo of you stretching out by Darren England from AAP and that made the short list of best cricket photographs of the year for Wisden, so... Great catch and a great photo. Did you see that yeah, snap? I did, yeah. I mean, I saw it when it came out. I think actually my mum and dad have gone ahead and, and actually framed that and are keeping it for keepsake in the spare room back at home. Yeah, I actually did see as well. Dad rung me and mentioned he's all about wisdom and, and he actually saw that and, and was quite chuffed. But no, yeah, it was a nice photo. Yeah, it was a beautiful photo and a beautiful catch. So I've got you, your test record in front of me. Two tests. Batting average of 144. Wow, that's a pretty good start. And your first class average is 41.09. So yeah, you were in pretty good form sort of to before the season was abruptly shut. You must be feeling pretty good about the way you were hitting them. Yeah, I was actually. Obviously, it was a bit of a different season for me dealing with, you know, reasonably serious quad injury. Once I did come back, I guess for the second time, once I properly came back and back in action, yeah, I felt like I was hitting the ball really well. Didn't manage to get a big score in the couple of games that I was able to fit in before everything happened, but felt like I was lining the ball up really well and seeing it really nicely out of the hand. It felt nice and balanced. And I know those three things are pretty key for me, but yeah, I guess the one positive out of the season finishing early and I guess feeling in good form when the season did end was that made me really excited and even, even hungrier to start next season. Yeah. I bet that little taste of test cricket is good motivation. You know, you've had that little taste of it and now you probably want more. Yeah, no doubt. I feel really lucky that whilst I obviously batted on a couple of really nice wickets in my in my two tests the fact that I've you know got to that level number one but then number two also you know already showed that I'm you know I'm good enough to be at that level I think is a really nice feeling to have just about now knocking down the door again and going in 
back into that test arena with the same confidence. Yeah, definitely. Were you planning on getting married about now? What happened with that? Yeah, I was. I was actually scheduled to get married next next Saturday, May 16. Yeah, but unfortunately, my fiance is an American woman. So with everything going on, her immediate family and friends couldn't make the journey, obviously. So we've had to postpone. So looking at a date next April 2021, obviously at the end of next season, it's quite tough to plan a wedding anytime when the cricket season's on wow god it must be a bit of a hassle trying to re- cancel a wedding at the last minute yeah it's not ideal but i guess it's one of those things you know if that's one of our biggest worries then we're doing okay it's a bit of a perspective checking away but no it's certainly not nice to postpone what would have been a really exciting day but no, we'll be fine and we'll gear up for next year yeah that's right you got one more year of nerves and uh, to prepare for it and to write your speech. That's it. We've been sort of going through the documentary, The Test by Amazon on the podcast with the lockdown and no sport. And we actually just reviewed episode four, which was perfect timing because uh, that was the episode where you make your dramatic entry into the test side. I guess, first, have you watched the documentary? See, I'm two episodes in. I've watched the first two episodes, but I have a friend of mine sent me the condensed clip of kind of where I featured in the show, or at least one point in the show. So I've seen a little bit of my stuff. No, I'm on two episodes in. I'm actually really enjoying it. Obviously, it's a little bit different for myself as a cricketer, kind of around that stuff all the time. But I think the way they've done it is outstanding. I'm actually really enjoying it, even though I'm in those change rooms all the time and I hear a lot of those conversations you know, day in, day out. I've, I've actually really enjoyed just seeing the journey of the Australian team, I think, like everyone else. Yeah, it's amazing access that the cameraman was given. Did you notice when you were playing in the test side, you know, having the cameraman around? Or, I mean, most of the reports are that he was pretty well able to sort of just blend in. But how did you see it? Yeah, he blended in effortlessly, uh, the doc. No, I mean, he was certainly there for everything. Quite funny, when I was brought into the squad, I kind of had to, you know, find out from the lads who this was. And the guy said that he, you know, he's there to so make sure if you're if you're not going to blow up or if you're going to blow up, just know that he's going to have it on camera for the world to see. But uh, outside of that, it was he was fine. He, like I said, he fit in seamlessly, but it was quite funny having someone just with a camera on you as you walked out, whether you nicked off or if you got your your pad blown off early and got dismissed early seeing someone that's just waiting there filming it was a bit of a different experience for sure yeah i bet in the documentary they go into a, a conversation between justin langer and brad Haddon about your selection and uh, you know you initially weren't in the the gabba squad and then you bashed the door down with two scores and was it for the ca11 i think you made two scores and you know they had a conversation with jl saying you know i'd like to bring in Curtis Patterson and Haddon was saying, well, if you think he's good enough, bring him in. And it's quite a pretty crazy story for someone to be called in from outside the squad like that. What was it from your perspective? You know, you made those two scores. Did you have any idea you might get the call up? I, I did at first, to be honest. I mean, I kind of figured I just scored two unbeaten hundreds in the one game against the team we were playing next week with a pink ball in a day-night game. It was kind of, you know, I had the, I guess, the perfect rehearsal that you could ever have before making a test debut so whilst I certainly didn't expect to be brought in by any means I did have it in the back of my mind that I thought you know if there was ever a time to to pick not just me but pick any player you know under those circumstances that would be it I guess once the game finished and I flew home from Hobart back to Sydney got to 3 4 p.m I kind of figured that obviously if if they were going to do it by now they would have already done it so They've obviously decided against it, which was fine. And I was gearing up to go back to New South Wales and get ready for the back half of the Shield season. But then it ended up, I think it might have been about 
8.30, 9pm, Trevor Holmes rung and said that they'd been meeting about it for most of the day and came to a decision quite late in the evening. Then I was on the, the first flight the next day. But yeah, it was certainly a, a bit of a mixed feeling day. It was one of the few days where I've kind of waited by the phone in hope that I'd get that phone call. But like I said, once it became kind of early evening, I kind of gave up and just moved on and started getting ready for New South Wales. Yeah, well, you'll get to see the other side of it when you get to episode four, how you were brought into the team. In the documentary, it shows uh, Justin Langer going into bat for you, so to speak. Did you have a sort of, had you worked with him previously or? I'd only done some work with him when I was really young. Creek Australia, I'm not even sure if they still do it, to be honest, but they used to have a, what was called the under 18 talent camp, where a bunch of us would come up to Uh, the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane for four or five day training camp. So when I was 17, I I went up there for that. And I think it might have been at the time when Justin was maybe just before Justin became the batting coach for Australia. So he was up there doing some work with everyone in that talent camp. And I managed to, I think, squeeze maybe a a 30 minute little one-on-one hit with him. But outside of that, uh, you know, obviously he's he's coached WA, so we play against them twice a year in Shield cricket and at least once in in one day cricket. And then obviously he was also there for the Scorchers, so obviously come across him a little bit. But in terms of actual work done with him, it was only when I was a seventeen year old, which was obviously a, a fair while ago. So I hadn't actually done any recent formal training with him. But that's nice to hear that he was going in the bat for me for sure. I can imagine you two would gel actually because you're both quite sort of thoughtful. You both you know have quite strong powers of reflection. I can see you two would be able to gel in that sense yeah I mean it's interesting I only had a, a short time with him in that test series against Sri Lanka but yeah I certainly got along with him you know I know JL is very kind of set on you know not getting too close to the players and making sure there is a separation there but I really enjoyed my time with him at the end of the day his results speak for themselves the way he's turned around the Australian cricket team and what the team was able to do in England um, was was really incredible so hats off to him I think he's a he's a terrific coach and I've certainly enjoyed my time with him yeah they were showing in the documentary that you know going into that Sri Lankan series after the Indian defeat, JL was trying to make a few cultural changes. He was trying to get you to travel to the ground together and travel home. And he was trying to unify the squad a bit and sort of change, I guess, the dynamics slightly. Did did you notice that when you came into the squad? Yeah, I think one of my first meetings when I was brought into the squad was that discussion from JL was, we're, we're coming to training, we're coming to the game. We're leaving training, we're leaving the game all as one squad. And you know, obviously not being around the Indian series, I wasn't sure how it went, but there was definitely a big point on the culture side of things and really bringing out the team element rather than the kind of individualistic get-what-you-need approach, which sometimes is the case in some environments. So that was definitely a big notion. For me, you know, it was neither here nor there. I was, as you, I think, as you do when you're brought into the Australian team for the first time, you just shut your mouth and, and go with the flow. and Thrilled to be there. Thrilled to be there and kind of learn as you go. So, But yeah, as I said before, I think the team culture and the way that Justin and I think Tim as well has got a lot to play with that. The way they built that has been fantastic. I can imagine it must have been pretty special joining the Australian team, not just having that baggy green, but also playing with um, Stark, Cummins and Lyon, close New South Wales teammates. That must have been quite special being in the Aussie dressing room with them finally. Yeah, it was. It was certainly special. And I think also, you know, luckily for me, it was also kind of calm my nerves. Um, obviously, I've played a fair few games for New South Wales with those guys. Uh, But I think the fact as well that I've played, you know, probably six or seven years now of solid first-class cricket, you get to know everyone from the other states as well, also with Australia A games and whatnot. So I think in that respect, I entered that change room with a fair bit of comfortability that I knew the guys that I was with. I certainly knew that those guys knew what I was capable of. So that kind of relaxed me a little bit more. I think 
if I was coming into the squad as an 18 or 19 year old, it would have been a lot more difficult. And, you know, I probably would have been a bit starstruck. But as you mentioned, having those New South Wales guys around and also guys like Trav Head, who I've played a lot of youth cricket with, one of my close mates, that certainly made the whole experience a little bit more comfortable and certainly a bit more special. Yeah, I'm a big Travis Head fan, actually. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He's got a big future. You know, he's, he's thrown the captaincy at such a young age at state level. I think there's a lot to come for him with the bat and leadership wise. Yeah, I think so as well. As I mentioned, Trav and I came through the ranks together. We batted a lot together. Certainly enjoy his company. He's one of the more genuine and funny blokes that I know. So no, I couldn't agree more. He's, he's a terrific player. He's a dynamic player. That I think he's able to adapt to you know any circumstance across all three formats. Yeah, I think he's going to have a very bright future. Definitely. Now let's fast forward to the 2nd of February, 2019. Today you'll never forget. Have a listen. Gets through. Is he going to go to the boundary? He'll get pulled in. But he'll come back anyway, Curtis Patterson. The magical moment for the elegant left-hander is made and tough. How often do you watch that replay, KP? <laughs> no, not too much anymore. I think the couple of weeks that, that followed that test, it was certainly viewed a bit and also sent to me by some close friends but uh no it doesn't get too much of a watch these days but certainly a very special moment yeah it was actually one of the the nicest moments of that summer with your parents there and obviously you know there hadn't been any centuries you know up until that match and you know Monica Oval you know special time oh absolutely you know obviously outside of mum and dad and my fiance but also I had I think it might have been about a dozen of my closest friends made the you know the three hour drive down and got there for it so that was absolutely that was it was an incredibly special moment but I think it makes it so much better that all those people were there to to kind of share it with me had dinner with mum and dad that night and you know just seeing how proud both of them were uh, just about everything that had happened over the last 10 days yeah it was a really special moment when you were sort of in the 90s were you very nervous I mean you sort of yeah how was that quite hard to remember to be honest I think if you ask a lot of players when we feel in really good form especially as batters one of those weird ones that you actually it's quite hard to remember the the good times when you're scoring runs because you're in such a I guess you're so present when you're out there, you're not really thinking about anything else. So, But I certainly, I mean, reflecting on it now, I don't think I felt any real nerves in the 90s. As I mentioned before, I think I was really lucky that I felt like I was picked when I was at the top of my game in terms of my, both my, obviously my physical skill, but mentally I felt like I was as sharp as ever. And obviously coming off the game, playing them the week earlier, I felt like I was as ready as ever. So... I don't think there was too many nerves in the 90s, which was nice because that probably isn't going to happen too often. But yeah, it was nice to certainly get that first one under the belt. Yeah, you dashed through the 90s with a couple of boundaries. What about the whole issue of converting your starts into hundreds? When I had you on the podcast and you were actually the first guest on Cricket Unfiltered, you know, you spoke about trying to get more hundreds and then you were able to do that. How did you sort of get over that issue? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there was a few things. Uh, We had an Australia A tour to India that I think was just before the Australian team went to Pakistan and that episode of the test. So it was a few years ago now. And again, I think we played two games over there against India A. I think I'd scored 340s across the two games, you know, felt completely in control, but then just got out essentially. And I guess that was kind of the moment for me when you're leaving India, you've got a lot of time in airports and and on planes until you land back in Australia and just thought about a few things and wrote a few things down and then when I got home you know hooked up with my batting coach Bo Casson and just spoke about a few of the things I'd written down and essentially just made the decision that you know a few things have to change so we just went back to the drawing board and you know one of the big things that I kind of noticed was kept getting out in games probably around that 
you know, 100-minute mark at the crease. You know, we looked at my training and I was kind of like, well, you know what, if I look at my training, I'm probably really batting realistically for about an hour and a half, 100 minutes every training session. So it's kind of mirroring what's happening out in the game. So that was one basic step. Changed a little bit of technical things, not not anything major. So, Caper, who were the poor bowlers that were bowling at you for two hours in the net, two, three hours? No, well, um, so the way we generally worked, and obviously the nets are, are finite. The bowlers can't bowl all day. So we generally would get there early, whether we do a bowling machine or the, the wanger, as it's called, which is the little mechanism the the, uh, the coaches use to throw balls. We do a mixture of that, a uh, mixture of bowling machine, then bowlers, and then do another 30, 45-minute session afterwards as well. And it's quite interesting because it made a big difference. The first time I did it, I started getting the forearm cramps from holding the bat and those little physical responses that you only get when you do bat long periods of time. And, and I have no doubt that made a huge difference because, you know, obviously leading up to being selected for Australia, I, I'd scored, I think, three or four hundreds in, in four weeks across Shield cricket and, and that A game and also even club cricket. That was a really nice feeling for me because sometimes when you do change things, there's obviously an element of risk there that you're kind of going away from your strengths, but I'm certainly glad I did it. So was that, in the end, do you think, was it a mental or a physical thing? That, do you think you mentally just needed to bat for longer to build up I guess, the mental resilience or was it a physical thing? When you reflect back on it, do you know? Yeah, I do. Without a doubt, it's mental. You know, the physical changes were very small compared to the the mental changes. And it wasn't just the mental changes of batting a long period of time, but it was also just analysing what I'm thinking when I'm out there. I actually read a really interesting article by Greg Chappell when I was in India. And in the article, he actually mentioned when he was kind of around the same age that I was, I think he might have said when he was 23, 24, he had a similar issue. And when he was batting out in the middle, he'd watch the ball go all around the field. He'd watch the ball go from the keeper to first slip to point. And he just found himself, you know, mentally exhausted by the time he got to 30 or 40. And I found that in that article, there was a lot of similarities in what I was doing as well. And I think later on in the article, he spells out what he did. He mentions how he would just walk away from the crease and look at the crowd and not look at the scoreboard but just kind of look and see what the average Joe's doing in the crowd and that was just his way of relaxing I you know took that on board and actually spoke to Greg about it and he was fantastic he's always very willing to help and he's a, a genius when it comes to talking anything cricket but certainly in answer to your question the, the mental changes that I made and the mental benefits I guess I got from those were far more than the, the physical yeah I remember Steve Waugh used to say that he'd just snap back his concentration you know, just before the bowler ran in and then switch off again after he'd fended off another bouncer or something. So tell me, yeah, we saw a, a lovely scene from Jai Richardson. You'll get to it, you know, in his t- testimony. He gets back into the car after the Gabba one day and he's, he gets his phone for the first time that day after taking his first, you know, few wickets for Australia and he's, you know, counting, oh, i got, you know, 100 messages, i got... 700 new Instagram followers. How was it for you when you, you know, you get your phone back after that first ton must've been going off. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly is the way these days. I actually, I've tried to make an effort before I got selected for the Australian squad with New South Wales and especially over four day games for New South Wales. I tried to make an effort of paying less attention to my phone during the game, just found it to be a bit of a distraction in a sense, especially if you do do well, then obviously you get a lot of people reaching out to you which is always nice. You appreciate the support. But so I do remember during the test, actually, I was with my fiance in the in the hotel room and I put my phone away for the night, put it on do not disturb or put it on airplane mode after a few messages had come in. And 
um, just kind of put it on the back burner until the end of the game. And I think luckily the game, you know, only went four days or something like that. And I made sure I got back to all those people. But yeah, it's certainly a nice feeling to know that you've got so much support around you. And it's moments like that where you really do realise how much support you do have. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a pretty positive experience on social media? I know some cricketers sort of take themselves off social media. Do you get any stick? I mean, you certainly do get stick, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's stick out there. I, I do my best not to read it generally. I'm certainly far from active on social media media but to be honest I just almost use social media as my news source these days I'm much more of a receiver than a giver on there I don't offer too much but I certainly do my best to not read all the the different things that pop up whenever there's an article mentioned or whatnot that involves me yeah you weren't there long enough to really draw the ire of the trolls yeah exactly you try and steer clear I don't think much good comes out of reading the comments generally speaking yeah good plan now the the contract list was just released by Cricket Australia you know, you weren't in that list of 20, but were you given any indication of sort of where you sit in their plans at the moment? Uh, no, not in terms of I didn't have any direct communication with them when the list came out. Obviously, I knew that I was, you know, wasn't going to be on it. The Australian team had an unbelievable year last year and all those guys who got rewarded with contracts you know, were deservedly so. So, you know, I know enough about where I sit in terms of test cricket and I know I just need to get back there and score big hundreds for New South Wales so yeah there's certainly no surprises when that list came out yeah now you, you just turned 27 I believe recently I happy birthday Thank you. congratulations this is sort of seen as almost the peak years for a batter isn't it late 20s early 30s do you feel sort of now an urgency to get out there and really you know prosper in these peak years yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought, obviously, as a batter, I think your, your batting peak is generally somewhere around your 30s. But I think that's all dependent on how much cricket you've played and what your experience is. But yeah. You started pretty young. Yeah, exactly. I've played enough cricket now, so I'm certainly well and truly into those peak years. And as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm super hungry for this season to start. I'm just super hungry to get back into some some sort of formalised training. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like with everything going on, but yeah, I'm just excited to get back around the group and get ready for a big year. Yeah, it was hard for you because you had a sort of stop-start season and now with this little break, probably no cricket for a little while to come, it, it would be quite frustrating. But your Shield champions, Curtis Patterson, New South Wales awarded the Shield after a, a stunning, what was it, nine rounds of Shield cricket. Clearly, clearly the best team in the comp. I can say that with good authority, having been there for all the home games, you know, obviously unusual circumstances, but, you know, it must have been a bit of a boost for the whole team to, to win the Shield. Yeah, without a doubt. Boys were, were absolutely stoked. It was one of those, just because of everything that was going on at the time, it was quite weird. We couldn't really get together to celebrate. So it was a bit of virtual celebrating going on and some small groups gathering uh, at the time. To- Steve O'Keefe still celebrating. I've yeah. seen him on a Zoom. He's- yeah, exactly. I mean- so, oh, but I mean, there's no doubt we were all incredibly proud of it, especially the the journey that we've had over the last, you know, three years when we, you know, we had a, a couple of poor years there and made some some big changes and, you know, full credit to Phil Jakes and I think his entire, our entire coaching staff as well as Pete Neville, who's been a fantastic captain for us and fantastic leader. So it was a, yeah, a magnificent achievement and something that all of us are, are really proud of. But I think the really important thing with the Blues group is that everyone's really hungry to to go again, which is exciting. Yeah, I feel it was almost not a year ahead of schedule, but everything for the New South Wales side, like last season was supposed to be a rebuilding year with a lot of youth, but you know, you, you qualified for the final. And then this year you lift the title with some, you know, great performances by a number of players, you know, Warner Smith, Dan Hughes, the big man, Harry Conway, Cummins and Stark, Hazelwood and Stephen O'Keefe. I mean, everybody 
uh, even Solway, his debut. I mean, it was the genuine team effort. Yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, if you look back at all the great teams, I think that's one of the most important traits about successful teams is that, especially in cricket, it's never one or two guys that are just always doing the job. When you have a really successful team, it's there's an understanding that, you know, if it was your day today, it'll be my day next week and vice versa. And you really celebrate each other's success. And that's um, that's been a really important element in our culture. And it's something that we've really experienced and lived up to the last couple of years. Because as you mentioned, last year was a rebuilding year. But I think that the processes we put in place as a team allowed us to, to get to that Shield final. And unfortunately, we weren't good enough against a good Victorian team. But yeah, it's certainly, it, we've got, you know, a lot of really exciting things that are, I guess, happening at, at New South Wales. But the most exciting thing, I think, is how hungry everyone is to go back and win it again. Yeah. Did you hear from any of the other state players when you were awarded the Shield? Because, you know, the bloody Victorians thought they were going to win the thing. They thought they were coming down the stretch very, you know, very fast. But, yeah, did you hear from anyone? I think from memory there, there might have been a couple of texts from a couple of interstate boys that I'm, I guess, closer friends with. But, no, certainly, I think, not to put a downer on us winning the Shield, but there was some, some bigger things happening out there in the world and there was poor timing in terms of, when everything was coming out with the coronavirus and whatnot. So I think, you know, celebrating the Shield got put on the back burner a little bit, which is probably why everyone's so hungry to win it again. There was a little bit of support from the interstate lads, which is always nice. Good. Hopefully you can get the celebrations going a bit later. Exactly. You know, when, when all these restrictions are out, you can finally celebrate. Just on the squad, I'm gutted that Stephen O'Keefe's gone. He's one of my favourite Blues players. Also, in my opinion, he's the second best spinner in the country. So I think that's going to be a big hole and he's such a great character. But he had a wonderful career. I mean, his figures are outstanding. Yeah, I mean, Socks, you know, Steve's numbers speak for himself, you know, and I hear the argument a lot that, oh, you know, his numbers look like that because he plays at the SCG every second game. But the fact of the matter is that we, you know, we don't play as many games at the SCG. You know, we don't play all that many every year. We play, there's been some seasons where we played one game a year at the SCG. So, yeah, I've absolutely loved, generally I feel mid-off to him when he's bowling. So I get a close look at just how he kind of does his work and how he tries to master his craft. And over the last few years, I've, yeah, I've just absolutely loved every minute of it. He's one of the most competitive players I've ever played with or against. And having him on your side, you walk out there, you know, you walk out to, to bowl and to field and you feel, you know, a foot taller when you know you've got sock in your team. So uh, he is going to be a big loss for us. It's going to be a, a transition period that we always were, were going to have to take at some point. So we've got some young spinners who are, who are really exciting and I'm sure we're itching it a bit to get out there. Yeah, I peg um, sock as a future media star. I think he's I agree. natural behind the mic. There's sort of reports today that you know, maybe they'll look at cutting the Sheffield Shield to eight rounds next summer with no final what is sort of reaction to that i mean personally i'd, I'd love for it to, to stay at 10 to be honest personally i wouldn't mind if the the final did go if, if it had to obviously i'd prefer it if it was there but if changes had to be made I, i'd hope that the shield can stay at 10 rounds just so it's fair so every team plays each other home and away it seems to make the most sense so it's not that many bats i mean the most if you play eight you're going to get 16 hits and you're not going to get 16 good hits because there'll be declaration batting and all that so you know, your whole first-class season could be 10 or 12 decent bats. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, obviously, there's... I think the, the reality at the moment is that no one knows what, what's going on and, and what could be the case by, you know, by November, December this year. So, it's hard not to speculate, especially as a player, when you hear these things and you read these articles. It's hard not to speculate and try and give energy to thoughts that might not be necessary. Yeah, I certainly hope that they keep the, the Shield season at the very least 10 games just so it is a, an even competition and so you, you continuously do have the opportunity to play it. 
at, at every ground in the country because that's important as well to, to get exposed to those different conditions and, and get exposed to those different playing groups. Yeah, you having a lot of contact with the ACA at the moment or the other cricketers because you know, there's a lot going on with you know, budget cuts and coaches being sacked and staff being laid off. I know the ACA is sort of taking the lead. Are they keeping you well informed? Yeah, they certainly are. Myself and Peter Neville, we're the, the two New South Wales delegates for the ACA. So we're kind of the, the first line of communication and we've been in contact with our group. But yeah, there's obviously a lot of unknown and particularly the guys that were either coming off contract and for the new guys that are potentially going to be coming on, whoever they may be, it's a bit of uncertainty there for sure, which no one likes. Like I said before, I think the main message is that, you know, we're trying to stay positive and trying to, you know, not speculate with kind of what's going on because at the end of the day, we just don't know enough right now. No. At least from a playing point of view to make any real decisions, we don't. Yeah, I think I get the feeling that from my point of view, it's just quite worrying that maybe domestic cricket's going to be stripped back. Obviously, it has to be a little bit. You have to react to the broader economic climate in every business, but it's a very rich and strong competition, right? The women's big bash, the men's big bash, the shield, the domestic ODI cup, they're so important. I just hope they're preserved. I mean, I'd rather see the second 11 games go if they're going to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree any more with you in terms of how important domestic cricket is. And I didn't actually see his interview, but I saw some an article, I think that was talking about Justin Langer's interview. I think it might've been on Fox maybe a week ago. And he spoke about what an opportunity this could be if, if obviously things were to go south and potential for the Indians not coming over this year and the World Cup not going on. If that was the case, that could be a great opportunity for domestic cricket to really, you know, get the Australian players back. And that's across the, you know, the Shield, the One Day Tournament and the Big Bash and really strengthen that tournament up because, you know, the games that I have played when obviously we've had our Australian players back and played some games against, you know, a Western Australian side that's had both the Marsh brothers and Marcus Stoinis and, you know, all those Australian players players back and it is it's fantastic it's as close to test cricket as you're going to get so I think if that's like Justin has said in that interview if there's an opportunity to, to make that happen and also get back to our clubs a bit more you know I'd certainly be really excited for that yeah I was thinking that you know I'd probably rather see a focus on the shield than maybe an Australia A series because you know there is like those you know, rivalries that already exist. So New South Wales v Queensland in the, the footy, you translate to the cricket and be, you know, Smith and Warner v Burns and Kawaja, you know, you could build on those sort of traditional rivalries and, you know, stick it on the telly somewhere and, you know, maybe have a, a really good summer of shield cricket. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. As someone who's certainly, I guess, more of a specialist in the long form of the game, I'd love to see shield cricket certainly stay at 10 games and the more Australian representatives you get back, and I know I'm a bit biased because we've probably got the most out of any state. And I, <laughs> Pretty handy back. I love standing at gully with... Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark lining up to bowl with Nathan Lyon at the other end. So, you know, I, I do love seeing them play for us. But at the same time, as I said, I think it's just great for the competition when you do play against those state sides. And I think the, the most important thing is that it actually creates a, a flow-on effect that people aren't aware of. Then there's first-class cricketers who have unfortunately been dropped into the second 11 team, which then strengthens the second 11 competition. And the second 11 players will then drop back to their club side, which strengthens that. So it, it does create an important flow-on effect. And having those Australian guys around and having your domestic competition as strong as possible flows all the way back down to club cricket, which we know is so important. Yeah, and it kind of lifts the players around them. You know, when you go out there with these test players, you know, it improves you. So, you know, it's vital to have them in the competition. Yeah, I mean, certainly if it, it may not improve you in the short term when you're coming up against those guys, but certainly once you um, once you learn and adapt and, and, and evolve, the only opportunity that comes out of that situation is to get better. I guess last one, then what if there was an Aussie concept and you were all of a sudden walking out to face 
Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood and Lyon. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I really enjoy that. I had a shocking game in that Australia, or that kind of mixed game that we had in Southampton before the Ashes on what was a, a reasonably difficult wicket. But at the same time, I still loved that game. I thought it was fantastic. Number one, there was wickets falling everywhere. So there was always action when you were either batting or fielding. But at the same time, it did get really competitive. And it, certainly growing up watching the, you know, the McGrath and Hayden battles in that Australia v Australia A game and seeing the Australian public, the classic, you know, get behind the Australia A team rather than the Aussies. You know, I, I loved seeing that growing up. And again, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. I think it'd be a quite a good product and I think it'd be quite interesting for the public to watch. Yeah, I think if it was framed in a way sort of at the end of the season and, you know, before cricket resumes, almost like it was in England, like a selection, you know, if there was an upcoming tour and there was something at stake, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in the mid nineties, there was that great team coming up, but yeah, I think they would need to give some sort of meaning to it. Oh yeah. I think you're making a, you made a good point there. I've always thought with Australia A games, they're always more interesting when, as you said, if there's an Australian tour coming up or if there's something going on where the game can stand for something. And I think Cricket Australia are, are across that as far as I'm aware. I know the ACA is, so yeah, I've no idea what their plans are for the summer, but if it was done well there's certainly some ability in that well curtis i've taken up a lot of your time thank you so much for coming back on the cricket unfiltered podcast you know i loved having you on a couple of years ago and it's great to get you back now now you've got a test average of almost 150 so mate there's only one way that can go so um (laughs) no i mean if that means that i'm back in the side and i've earned my way back then that's a positive so whatever happens happens well thank you very much and all the best and uh look forward to seeing you back playing soon thanks andrew appreciate it Sports Social Podcast Network.